Welcome to the OFD podcast. I am your host, Joshua Voles. This is OFD After Dark. Jude Seymour, how you doing? It's late. <laughs> I thought maybe we were gonna get like a Vincent Price uh, induction, but it maybe I don't know. Ira, do like a like a like horror slash porn slash I don't know. I was gonna get into something, but it's late. Jude and I caught each other. You know, see that we were up. Um, I've been drinking. I turned 41 um, in one more day. Uh, so I'm, I'm having an awesome weekend. And uh, <laughs> I figured, hey, well, let's just turn on the uh, the podcast machine and uh, let's, th- let's throw down some knowledge here. So, you ready for all this, Jude? Let's do it. All right, cool. Well, hey, um, some news was announced today. We, we got it up on the site. Everyone was talking about it. And uh, seven captains were announced today at Notre Dame. Jude, uh, well, I guess what's your thoughts on the, on the number seven there? And I'm, not to get like conspiracy, like biblical about thoughts <laughs> about seven, but just <laughs> just the actual amount of, of, of captains. That's a, it's a high amount. It, it, it is a high amount. I think it's an amount that they've had in the past um, under Brian Kelly. Six was uh, the most Brian Kelly. Okay. What did they have? Six prior? But, to that? And that was in 2017. But it would have been seven if Deshaun Kaiser would have there you returned go. in 2017. There you go. Um, looking at the names, these are all names we've been talking about for months. Uh, there was not a name on this that really surprised me. I think Robert Hainsey was maybe the one that was the little bit of an eyebrow raise. Um, but, you know, when you talk about guys like Jalen Elliott and Alohi Gilman and Chris Fink and Julian Aquara. I mean, those were no brainers. So you had, you're going to have probably four there anyways. Um, and to add Kareem and Hainsey, uh, you know, I, I don't, to be honest with you, it just, it, it didn't, it didn't, uh, didn't surprise me. Uh, I know that we've talked about Kelly's reticence to name a quarterback as, as a captain. Um, you did it. We got one. But if any quarterback <laughs> probably deserves it, it's Ian book. Um, you know, everything for out of the practice reports, and, you know, Pete Sampson's article, I think it was to this morning or maybe yesterday about how locked in and he is and how seriously he's taking this. So I don't think putting a C on his chest is going to add any more pressure to him than he already feels. Right. And uh, first Notre Dame quarterback to be a captain since Jimmy Clausen in 2009. Um, and, I, I, and I'm all for it. I mean, I think that's that, you know, it, it's the way it should be. To, and I think that's why they haven't for so many years. Um just because, you know, it, look, the quarterback is one of the leaders on the team one way or another. I mean, even Tommy Reese in 2010 going into the Sun Bowl was a leader on the team because he's the man out there playing quarterback. It's just the way the sport is. I, I wasn't surprised at all, though, about Robert Hainsey. That's a name that um, that's a guy that a lot of people have been talking about, his leadership skills and and what he's been doing, uh, you know, along that offensive line. And usually the offensive line has got one or two you know, captain type guys, you know, every year he just happens to be, you know, the one guy. And that's, you know, I'm absolutely good with all this. I'm a, I usually like, I think three captains, like, like that would be my ideal number that for me, if I was a coach that I would want. Um, but there's just, there's no way to talk this down. I mean, seven of all those seven guys there are more than worthy. And, you know, I think I don't know where I saw it today, but someone said that they had thought that this, these group of guys like to work as a group of guys, like as leaders, they like to approach things together. Hey, you know, whatever works, right? Yeah. I mean, could you, could you think of a person who should have been on this list that wasn't or, or swap any of these guys out? I mean, no, I I think that maxed it out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. As someone had brought up Chase Claypool, but Chase Claypool was never a guy that that anyone seriously gave too much thought about being a captain. He, you know, just because you're a captain should be a good player. I, I think the year they, which was uh, was it last year or two years ago, when Austin Webster uh, yeah. walk on was a captain, was a little shaky to me. I mean, I get it, special teams, whatever, but um, but you know, it just it felt right. I mean, and Chase Claypool just, I, I just don't think that he, he's just not captain material. Now 
things they had talked about with Chase in his time there, you know, it never seemed that he was going to get to that level anyway. So, but that's okay. That doesn't mean that he can't be a leader on the team just because you're not one of the 40 captains that were, that were named today. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think this, I think this list is, is, uh, you know, it's great. It's, um, there's, there's a lot of people and I, actually, uh, you know, the captains all have to speak to the media. So, um, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Julian Aquara that was maybe reticent to do so or not as polished as some of the other ones or whatever. So it'll be just interesting to, to hear these guys speak week in and week out because, you know, we got used to captains that are, that were well-spoken like, uh, you know, Mike McGlinch here, you know, so, um, It'll just be it'll be interesting to hear from them every week. We were going to hear from Ian Book every week, whether he was captain or not. So uh, that doesn't really change anything for him. But um, it'll just be interesting to see what kind of uh, poise, you know, a guy like Jalen Jalen Elliott has after a game, uh, you know, hard fought game or, you know, even maybe uh, Thursday when he's tired of answering the same 17 questions. I think Julian Acora is the one to watch on that one. He's not of all those guys there. He's the least media savvy Maybe I would maybe savvy is not the right word. We he, he's not too fond of the, of yeah. you know ha, of having to deal with the media, um, and that's fine. Look, that, just because you're a captain doesn't mean you have to um, be good with the media. I mean, that's just right. There's, that, there's that's the thing. That's just another thing that we look at, and and you know, as, for a guy. But you know, on the field, you're the best player on the team. So being a captain is definitely you don't have to go in front of the media and be the best spokesman for the team. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's coming out of the, it's coming out of the locker room after you just got beat on the final play against Georgia and owning up to your, your mistake that, you know, that your guy got around you or whatever. It, th- those are the hard parts. You know, it's easy to come out after you, you've, you've knocked down Miami, right. Ohio or some, you know, mid grade Mac team or whatever. But um, I, I'm looking, you know, I'm just, I'm just very in- interested in see, if one of these guys has a bad game and, and what kind of accountability and, you know, and how hungry that makes them um, and how they deal with that with the media, whether they're standoffish or whether they're, um, you know, they stand upright and, and take their lumps. One more thing before we move on from this, too. I just I found it interesting um, outside of just the seven was that, you know, it's both defensive ends, both safeties um, it really speaks to the strength of this team and. And it also speaks to the the uh, weakness on the defense too, which is up the gut. I mean, it just highlights it as what is I guess more or less what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think look, I don't I don't think it's surprised anybody that a linebacker didn't get named here. You no, know, no. I, think, I don't think it surprises anybody that Kurt Heinisch didn't get named here, and and that's nothing against Kurt Heinisch. It's just um, you know, he, he when you think about the guys that we've heard in the, the, you know, promotional videos over the winter conditioning and, uh, you know, even into this camp or whatever, um, you know, it's been guys like Jalen Elliott. It's been guys like Alohi Gilman. It's been guys like, um, Khalid Kareem. So, uh, you know, again, I, I think there's nothing, uh, too surprising about this. And, and I, I look forward to seeing them work uh, together as a unit for the betterment of the, uh, the team as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now we've had some other news from camp, and this is all stuff we've we've covered on the site already. But we can talk about it a little bit, and that's uh, just some injuries. Um, Gwen Carroll, freshman, goes down, and and I, I guess I gotta have to re- <clears throat> retract my statement from about him a little bit. I I keep mentioning him as a non-factor, and I'm not exactly wrong. Uh, it's a freshman offensive lineman. It's it's not a huge part of your team, except that. They were, he was the best freshman offensive lineman we had and was going to be figuring into not a rotation, but, you know, there's a, there's contingency plans and depth charts to figure out. And, and Carol was involved in all that. So that does ding him a little bit. Um, and then Jameer Smith broke his hand uh, for running back. That's not the greatest thing. Uh, fumbles <laughs> can and will happen and, and have happened for Jameer because uh, he is still practicing, um, which, which I'm encouraged. I mean, I think anybody with a broken hand in football probably should still be practicing. It's just a hand. Um, but as a running back, that's going to hurt you a little bit. Uh, and then the big one with, with Cole Komet, uh, broken collarbone. And 
I, I just I find what <laughs> the whole like I think today Kelly said you know four and then four or four or six to ten weeks. Yeah, uh, and I know people were saying that. Well, they're 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 saying it's three to six. You know, the source. And I'm like, I don't buy it. it. It's a broken collarbone. They don't heal in three weeks. I'd well, be you'd be hard and screws involved too. I mean, it's. I mean, you'd be hard pressed to find, you know, six weeks. I mean, it's gonna be a bit. It's gonna be a while. First of all, Brian Kelly, and this is not like a, a dig on him, but he has never been accurate about an injury recovery time was just going to say that his entire career. So whatever Brian Kelly says is going to be wrong. This is not, it's not a, it's not a dig on Kelly. It's just, look, he's just, he's not right. And I, I, maybe he does it on purpose. He's not a doctor. Well, he's, Um, he's rosier about returns. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Um, by at least two weeks. Like I always just, I put that in the article. There's a two week curve with Kelly. Yeah. I (laughs) mentally add two weeks. And in fact, you know, it would take some research, but I think that you could probably go through old transcripts and realize he says, you know, three to six weeks on this guy. Nah, it's it's always more like, you know, uh, four to eight weeks. You know what I mean? So and, and it's right. not it's not just that every guy is slipping or the conditioning program is suspect or whatever. It's Brian Kelly wanting, hoping, praying that he can get Cole Komet by <laughs> back by Georgia and the God's honest truth is it's more going to be like, uh, I don't know. What do you think? USC more past that. It's like, it's a, it's a, it's like a witchcraft sigil. You know, like <laughs> if, if you say it enough and enough times, like, like in, in a certain manner and, you know, and, and, cut the, and cut the throat of a chicken and, and drink the blood, <laughs> what you say enough times is what's going to happen. So, yeah. you know, maybe he's into that. I don't know, but that seems to be the case. But I mean, I just, I don't see Quebec not only is, it's a break. Okay. It's a, it's a break. They went in for surgery. It's got plates, screws. Besides all that, it's a freaking collarbone. And that may not s- seem like a big deal, but in football, when you are literally hitting with, you have giant pads on your shoulders because of how much you are hitting on that part of your body that can, you know, if you bring him back too early, all you're doing is breaking it again. And it's an easy break. To, once that thing breaks the first time, it will break the second time. Yeah, it's it's not a hard, it's not a hard part of your body to break. It's fairly common. Yeah. So you have to allow it to heal. And I just, I think eight weeks, eight to eight to 10 weeks is probably more or less what we're looking at. And I'm not a freaking doctor. My wife's a nurse uh, (laughs) and I I ran it past her and she looked at me like I, you know, said some, something terrible because she wasn't talking about football. She was talking about, uh, (laughs) Something with the kids and I ch- try to change the subject to football and that didn't go over well. But uh, I can tell you just being around this stuff, it's, it's going to take longer than he's not going to be back for Georgia. In, in my view, you can just you can count him out right now for Georgia. Right. So 10 weeks would be the the prep week for the Michigan game. Yeah. And I, I put in the in the commit story that I wrote that I thought that um, that that was that was probably about when he'd be back and that could he come back for USC? He might be ready by then, mm-hmm. but you still may not even really need him for USC. And then you get um, the bye week, right? Yeah. But then you have the bye week. So, you know, do you risk, do you really need it? I, you know, I don't know. So he at least, I, I think that at the latest, if they, it's probably going to be Michigan. And at that point, you'll have a real good sense of, of what Brock Wright is doing in your in your offense and how, how big of a role that he's playing and how much you miss. Yeah. Him. And, I, and I think that's a big reason why that, you know, maybe he wouldn't play against USC, because I think by then, you, you know what you got in Brock Wright and Tommy Tremble. Sure, maybe sure. you're maybe you're OK by that. I mean, maybe yeah. you're not either. I mean, maybe they're like, shit, we really need to, you know, pray and, and you know, go light a few more candles and, and get and stop this witchcraft stuff. <laughs> you know, go down to the grotto and get him back, you know, as early as possible. But I mean, I'll, we're really just going to see it. You know, we're not going to, I don't think we're going to notice it against Louisville. We're not going to notice it against New Mexico, but Georgia, um, I, I was listening to the, to the AP football podcast with Ralph Russo and he had Pete Sampson on as a guest and, and Pete made an excellent point where he said, you know, flat out Cole Komet might be their best skill position player on offense, period. So 
Wow. Not, not having him for Georgia is a big deal. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I'd never, I wouldn't paint Kmet in that light. Um, but I kind of, t- I, I take what Samson says, um, pretty seriously. So if, if he's saying, if he's saying that, um, I still may not agree with it, but I definitely have moved Kmet up in my mind about where I, where he's at on that, that level there. Where did, uh, and Douglas Farmer's, uh, top 25, uh, that you submitted to inside the Irish, where did you have Cole Komet? Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I, I had him in top 10. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, the last podcast, I think you, you put me on the spot on that. Uh, let me see. No, I didn't. I had him at number 11. Okay. So just and outside I, the top 10. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'll, um, on Sunday, uh, I'll be on vacation. Uh, I'll be in a hotel room. Well, I guess maybe tomorrow night after everybody passes out. Um, I'll probably get on the keyboards and I'll write up my, uh, my top 25 ballot. Um, and send all of our people if they if they haven't already over to to uh, inside the Irish to to see where everybody actually ended up at. Um, but no, I had come at, at eleven. Uh, he was sandwiched between Hainsey and uh, Dalen Hayes. Okay, so I mean, but look, he's up. There. I mean, he's up there for me. I mean, that's eleven. It's not a you're not sneezing anything. That as far as offensive players go, I had Ian Book one, and then my next offensive player was Chase Claypool at five, Chris Finke at eight, Robert Hainsey at, or Jafar at nine, Hainsey at 10, Kemet at 11. So far at nine. Wow. Holy cow. My, my ballots are, are just based straight up off of, um, how good they are. I, I use a mixture of also need, you know, like how much we, how valuable they are, uh, to the team. Right. So Jafar for me, I, I think he's a, I think Jafar Armstrong is a big piece of Notre Dame's offense um, for what they want to do it, in all facets, whether it's running the football or using him as a receiver or in a two back set, which I think two back sets are probably gonna be a little bit more used now uh, early in the season with, without commit. Um, so really J- Jafar's value just went up a lot in my mind. Uh, Jess Matana did a, uh, Instagram poll the other day of Jafar Armstrong would rush for over a thousand yards. And when I voted, no, I was on the, it was, on she the, did that. I yeah. did that. You did that too. Yeah. She yeah. Did, she did that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure she did it. Yeah. So oh, man, Jess and I are on. I'm Anyways, let her know one of you guys, one, one, one you guys way. And if I gave credit to Jess instead of you, then I apologize. But when I voted, no, uh, it was 73, 27. Uh, yes. So I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of love for Jafar Armstrong out in ND nation. Yeah. I think that was my poll there. chief. <laughs> Although I appreciate uh, the fact that you think I'm well, younger and prettier than I, I really I was am. Say, now, now I've given away the fact that I, I look at Jess's Instagram stories right around the same time. I look at the one foot down Instagram. <laughs> now I feel a lot better now. <laughs> uh, white claw. It could be on either. I mean, you know, it's, it's a real toss up. So <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you never can tell. So let's, let, let's talk a little bit about what's going on at camp and, and I'm going to stay I'm going to be on the defensive side here. Um, some things that, that I've been beating my chest about is Dante Vaughn. Now this, this practice they had today that was open. Uh, there was a less Dante Vaughn and more Tariq Bracey. Mm-hmm. Um, they had, they were using pride over on the boundary and Bracey um, over to the, uh, to the field. And I'll just say this too. I think we, are really blowing up the field boundary stuff more because that's how the scheme was. But I think they've really have blown that up uh, since the spring. And Greg and I have talked about this at length a few times. Um, a lot of left, right involved more, more so than before. I mean, there's the, the use of field boundary now is probably it's, it's a lot less. I, I would say that the, it going into the, 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 the strategic parts of it all, I I, I think we're more, we're looking still looking at more left right, but anyways, but I mean I, I I've been touting Vaughn since before the spring. I just keep saying you know he's he's going to come back from injury. He was the guy that came in for Julian Love for God's sake. So he's up there on the depth chart and he was hurt. 
So if he comes back fully healthy, I, I really felt that he had, you know, the makings of a guy who could be the guy over there opposite Troy pride. And I know a lot of people wanted to brush that aside and, and looking at Houston Griffith, like that was his next step, but I just didn't see it in the spring uh, with Griffith and, and still haven't. And Vaughn was there and it has been there, but today Bracey took a lot of those reps uh, over at the field. And, but you know, I, I, I feel pretty good about corner now. I mean, decent, better than I did in the spring. I, yeah, you absolutely should. Um, my one question that you uh, before you jumped to the Dante Vaughn talk was: is, is then the intention on the left right to just keep Pride matched up on the other team's best receiver, no matter where he lines up? Is that the th- the thought there? I, I I have thought that that may be more or less what they're doing, but I I just really feel it's going to be about what personnel they ha- they put out there as opposed to what the other teams has out there. If that, if that makes sense, like, okay. Cause who they decided who they decide to put out there is going to be decided if they're going to play field field boundary or left, right. The social media of Notre Dame has been making a big deal about the fact that there's been daily Claypool versus pride type uh, matchups. And sometimes Claypool gets a better pride and sometimes get pride gets a better Claypool or whatever. And I yeah, thought it's a good maybe, battle. I thought maybe that was their acknowledgement that, Pride was sticking with Claypool no matter where Claypool lined up. Well, I mean, practice reps are practice reps. Yeah, sure. Um, but I mean, it, you don't know how many times they're doing that in a game. But I mean, but they're doing it quite a bit. Um, yeah, and I mean, Pride's a lot of it's been he's been playing over on top of Claypool. So you're absolutely right. It, it could be more of that case. Um, I just think that us, all of us trying to narrow it down to one thing or the other. We're, we're all wrong. We're, we're, okay. I mean, we're, I mean, we're, we're all going to be wrong because I just think that they're going to mix it up more about what they want to do with their personnel. And maybe that's to have Troy pride shadow. I mean, having a, your best corner shadow, the best wide receiver is not anything new age, you know? I mean, that's correct. People have been doing that since we, since the forward pass, but um, it's just not something that we have seen in Notre Dame in a, you know, in a while that they've done, they've, especially, you know, with this new inter, new defense since uh, Mike Elko and Clark Lee, Clark Lee came over. So I just think we're all wrong. Uh, we're, we're all going to be right. And we're all going to be wrong at some point because they're going to mix it up so much. Right. And I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, talk about the other news that we learned this week, that Derek, Derek Allen is now in the transfer portal. And um, obviously that shakes up the safety rotation uh, a little bit. I mean, although there was rumblings that he was getting passed up, and, and the one thing I wanted you to react to was we had a comment in our comment section about the, you know, the coaches somehow failing a top 100 kid because he had all the talent in the world and they couldn't find a way to make that talent work. But as you kind of push back on that, and I agreed with you, which is, um, you know, the, the, the kids got to want it and we don't know the full story, but we know that there's unhappiness from the coaches and there's unhappiness from this, from the student athletes. So um, whether right. or not he came in, they asked him to lose weight and he didn't do it, or he was getting passed up, you know, on the field in terms of his focus or whatever, or, um, just his play by DJ Brown or whoever else. I mean, it just, it, at the end of the day, he, he wasn't accelerating in the way that we would expect a top 100 prospect to accelerate. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I just wasn't accepting the premise of the, of the point. I mean, my, I, the first thing I said was, you know, how do we even know that Derek Allen is that good? Because a recruiting service told us so. I mean, if this was, if they would have rated him a three star, which by the way, they kept dropping his ranking as his senior season went on. You know, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and bash Derek Allen at all. Um, But to say that he's the type of prospect who can play at a high level as a sophomore, you know, I, I just, I just think that, that he's not, he wasn't ready. And just because he was ranked as a four star doesn't mean that he's ready as a sophomore. You know, maybe it was going to take another year. Um, and you, the weight issues are, are another thing. He's just not the body type that they're looking for back there anymore. And, you know, they're moving on. Look, these coaches are trying to win football games and they're not just going to stick a guy somewhere because, you know, rivals are 24 seven said that, um, that he's golden. They're not just going to say, 
you know, we're going to we're going to put all our chips in this basket because Brian Driscoll says it's the best safety since Harrison Smith. Mm-hmm. That's coming to Notre Dame. I mean, <laughs> none of that Matt means jack shit to the coaches. Right. And you know, look, I I I like Derek Smith a lot. Like I was really rooting for this kid since day one. And Greg and I talked about this in a podcast before. You know, it's a it's a sad thing, and we were really like really ecstatic that he had a good showing in the blue goal game. Like, wow, you know, he, he showed us more than what we had, we were giving him credit for, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's a tough thing for these guys, for these guys. It's, it's not the coach's fault. If the kids can't climb up the depth chart, you know, there's an, if you're going to blame them for not having a top 100, top 125 recruit become a starter, don't you also have to praise them if it's a, you know, of a guy below 150 or below 200 that gets the starting job. I mean, I, I would. Think- I, I, just, I, I just don't understand the whole point of that all. You know, wouldn't wouldn't the coach be better then because he took a guy who really wasn't so good and you know made him a starter? You, you can't just have one way. It, it, there's it, it cuts both ways. Well, and, so, the, and that was my takeaway from your pushback, which was um, you can't just automatically say it's a failure of the coaches. You you have to understand that. There's a lot more information here that we don't get because we're not privy to practices. And and frankly, the media reports that are coming out of the practices were underwhelming when it when they when they would talk about Derek Allen. Right. And right. Oh, so. it, it, unfortunately, this is what happens in major college football. I just I can't. That's my Facebook has been atrocious this week um, <laughs> because people are you know, just flipping out over injuries. Right. But and I just keep saying Alabama has three serious injuries, and I think yeah. all of them are knee injuries. But it's fall camp. Yeah, like, well, well, that doesn't explain it. I'm like, yes, it fucking does. No, it this happens. is not spring football where everybody is getting treated with. Kick. You just try to get spring football the hell over with before anyone gets hurt. It's a whole different thing. Yeah. You get into fall camp. Look, it is full go. It is, you know, not to be mean or anything, but it is survival of the fucking fittest. Right. I mean, it was a a wide receiver from Duke that broke his collarbone either the same day or the day after Komet. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is this is just what happens at fall camp all over the country. It's it uh, is unfortunately a byproduct of the vicious, brutal sport of college football. Yeah, it happens in high schools all across the country. There is some great high school football players right now who are seriously injured from practice, uh, you know, before their season. This is just of what happens not to bring up my playing days, but, <laughs> but, I'll, but listen, I'll, I'll give you a really good example of, of what happens. My junior year, we were, we were picked to go to state, all sorts of goodness, right? My junior year, we went Oh, and 10 and had about eight to nine guys go down before our first game. That's how that, that, that I mean, it just happens, you know, and, and after like the first couple, we were being careful, <laughs> you know, which sucks in football because you have to learn to be aggressive, especially at that level, uh, you know, of football. But, you know, what do you do? Guys just kept going down and it, whether you call it a jinx, a dark cloud or whatever it is, it's just the sport of football. This stuff just happens and you just pray to God and thank him if you get out of camp mostly healthy. And honestly, right now, if Notre Dame finishes out camp and this is what happened from it, we are extremely lucky, even if we don't get commit back until Michigan. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And, and, and this is another example of, you know, when you, when you are following just Notre Dame, you remember all of the injuries that happened in August and you think August is the worst. Guess what? August is the worst for everybody else too. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, uh, just in, injuries happen and you're, and I could not agree more. If this is the worst that happens to us, then, you know, tough breaks for a uh, commit and for Smith and, um, you know, and for Quinn Carroll, but, um, but we move on and we still have a, a quarterback and we still have, a great wide receiver core and you know what I mean? Like, and the list goes on. So absolutely. Hey, we're going to take a quick break and then uh, we'll come back. We're going to talk. We're just going to talk some more stuff about, about Notre Dame's fall camp here. So stay with us. All right, we are back. So Jude, you've been following along and I've been following along and we're, we're, what do you think right now uh, as we're, 
you know, we're back in South Bend. Uh, we're done with Culver. We're really we're, now we're going to start to get into the to really the meat of, of fall camp. What what sticks out to you the most right now, other than the injuries um, for what's what's happening? Well, I'm I'm encouraged by some of the practice reports that I'm reading. Um, the positive practice reports. Uh, you know, obviously we've been uh, probably like everyone else gushing over Kyle Hamilton. It seems like every time there's a media viewing, he has an interception or two or three. Um, I think he's, he's up, up to, to five, five now. He's up yeah. to five with the, the media has seen, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa uh, playing uh, linebacker. Um, I don't know if are we calling him Wu or are we calling him JOK? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I, a friend of his I saw on a tweet uh, called him Lil Wu. Lil Wu. Um, and so I just kind of take that, that. That's his nickname, which is fantastic because I'll just I'll I'll go with the whole Wu Tang thing uh, for the rest <laughs> of his career. Uh, so that that works for me. That works great. Hey, so let's talk about the linebackers for a second here. Um, two things stick out to me, Jude. And I, I don't know if if uh, if you feel the same here, but number one, Wu is the starter at Rover, hands down, no questions asked. And number two, Asmar Belial is the starter at Mike slash and or Buck. <laughs> no questions asked. I mean, from everything we've gathered, those two are out there in one form or the other. You know, Wu's at Rover and then Asmar has been at Mike and been at Buck as they're rotating other guys in. Um, right. Is that, is that the impression you're getting too? Yeah, it's it's like trying uh, a combination lock, and you're you know that one of the numbers is solid, and the other number fits. You know, another number is solid, but you don't know if it's in the first position. It's, it's like the desk seeing in, in National Treasure. Yeah, I mean, you, you, exactly. <laughs> you're like you're you're moving the pieces and and trying to figure out how how the puzzle works out or whatever. And so it makes me nervous because on the one hand, it's what twenty three days until kickoff, but on the other hand, uh, when you find that combination, you're going it's going to be. At, assumedly great see i'm actually like extremely encouraged um and (laughs) you have to excuse me if some kind of false uh scandinavian accent comes out of me been watching norseman on on netflix which is a a great comedy series uh and they all have these awesome scandinavian accents so when i say extremely uh (laughs) i'm really i'm really digging in and i'm also really drinking but uh i've been really encouraged by by asmar being out there regardless like that means that they trust like, like he's good enough to be to be out there full time. Right. And that's a lot better than thinking that he's just out there and we're waiting for someone else to take him. And that's two fresh spots. So I I, I think mean, I'm, could, I'm a lot happier what's going on with linebacker right now than I was two weeks ago. Could you look at it cynically on the other half of that, that and say Asmar works because so many people aren't working? Yeah, Jude, you could. I guess. <laughs> you could be a I'm sure. But I, I mean, I guess I'll, I'll be optimistic with it. Um, sure. And that's just, you know, who's, what's the, you're right. You know, it, this is like a combination lock. Who's going to be the better fit out there with, is it Asmar at, at Buck and Drew White at, at Mike? Or is it going to be, you know, Asmar at Mike and, you know, Jack Lamb and or Shane Simon at Buck or whatever the combination is? Sure. Um, I I guess that encourages me. I think they're finding their right mix, um, and there's just so many bodies there, and so many, you know, Drew Tranquil and Tavon Coney are big shoes to fill, and in a way, you're filling up Asmar's shoes from last year too at Rover. So, you know, it's a lot to ask, and I, I think if we're two thirds of the way there, then I, I I think that's all right right now. I think that gives you a lot to. Lots of go off on right now. Yeah, we're 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 certainly getting there. I mean, obviously, this is this is one of the the uh, final pieces that really needs to be locked in before uh, you know Louisville starts. But uh, it feels like it feels like there's positive progression, uh, especially with the practice reports um, so high on Wu and, uh, and 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 like you said, Asmar being on the field. You know that that he feel that they feel like he's uh, he needs to be on the field. I, I'll, I'll take it as a positive. And, and so I'm going to go from a positive to, to something not so positive. <laughs> and that might be, a, well, I mean, our defensive tackle depth, um, which I think we all figured was a concern, but 
Like last day, the last day at Culver, like the offensive line just swallowed up uh, the the interior of the Notre Dame's defensive line, and they they clapped back when they got back to to South Bend. They had a much better day, and and really they owned the Notre Dame offensive line. But I just think, you know, regardless, you look at the depth there with you know Heinish and MTA and Jacob Lacey and Jason Amiola and all. It's you're, it's still one thing that sticks out bigger than anything is that none of these guys are Jerry Tillery. And I, there's going to be such a huge drop off. It was, it's like last year. It, it's a lot like last year with the offensive line, right? Like there was no way in hell that they could get better than the year before because you had no McGlinchey and Nelson. Right. Just like there's no way this defensive line can be better without Jerry Tillery on there. And you know, granted, your ends are magnificent, and by a lot of accounts, you know, and we did look, like this isn't anything new. When Notre Dame was in the nickel package last year, they they would slide uh, Clint Cream down into the three technique. Be Dalen Hayes out there with Julian Acquire on the edge. They're doing a lot more of that, you know, in practice. But we're not sure exactly if if, if they're going out. If that's used at a base at all, or if that's still just with the nickel. Um, so. But I don't know. It, it, it's still a worry. Um, and I don't have too many encouraging words from it. But I love the guys that are there, though. I mean, I am a. Yeah, I'm probably the biggest Kurt Heinish fan uh, in the country right now. Is it um, the black? Dude, look, it's everything. Yeah. About, what did you say, though? It, the eye black, the the pulp persona of like the the warrior kind of. Walking. I don't know. Yeah. You, I mean, you know me, you know, I'm, I'm screwed up. I mean, I, I, I love Heinrich, man. I, I, love his, I, love his atti- I love his attitude. He looks good in camo. Uh, he, you know, he just, he's just that guy. You know, he's, he's, he, he reminds me, and this is going to be sacrilege to, to a lot of people, and I really don't give a shit. You know, he reminds me a lot of Chris Zorich. He is not Chris Zorich, okay? He's not that good. But he, he his attitude out there playing reminds me a lot of Zorro. So, I don't know. He look. That's that's one of my guys. Uh, you know him and him and Jalen Elliott are like are my. They're like my brothers right now. Like they they, they don't know it. Um, we got separated, you know, from our families. But I just got to feel like I am the biggest Kurt Heinrich fan. I think that he gives you so much. He puts out so much, uh, and he's not going to get <laughs> get enough credit. But man, that dude just he's balling out out there. Um, so if you can get that kind of effort and. Look, he's swallowing guys up. His job is not to make plays. His job is to help everyone else around him make plays. And I think he's doing that. I, I think it, I think we're going to be okay. I think it's all going to be okay. I was reading, um, again, Pete Sampson at the Athletic. He sat down with Jalen Elliott, and they did like a five-plays breakdown or whatever. And Jalen yeah, excellent Elliott, series. What's that? It's an excellent series. Yeah. yeah, it's an excellent series, and I love him. And I wish he would do a lot more of them, and, and I'm, I'm happy for the ones that I get. But. <laughs> Um, Jalen Elliott was reinforcing the point that, that we know, which is the defensive ends creating pressure helps, uh, the safeties and the cornerbacks, um, you know, with, uh, with coverages and stuff like that and vice versa. Right. And so, um, you know, part of me was like very excited reading about this because I was thinking of, you know, Julian Aquara causing some sort of havoc. Uh, you know, Jake from forcing him to make a decision and he doesn't see uh, Lohi Gilman cutting her, you know, cutting through or whatever. And he, yeah. he throws an air and pass. And I, I love thinking about that stuff. But I also then started thinking about guys on the edge crashing and then and then quarterback scrambling towards the middle and Heinish getting or MTA getting beat back or Adam Malola getting beat back by an offensive lineman. And all of a sudden there's a whole hole holds huge hole in the middle because <laughs> the linebacker got, uh, the, I think Jalen Elliott called it a dirty wash. Like he picked the wrong <laughs> hole basically. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, somebody's scooting for a 20 yards or whatever. So um, I, I'm not trying to diminish the play of the guys on the inside. Um, no, but it, listen, that's let's a, get, but let's that's get used to the idea. Yeah. Let's get used to the idea that it's not Jerry Tillery and it's not. And if, and if they get past Jerry Tillery, then they got to deal with Tavon Coney and drew tranquil. So um, that, that's that, important that Mike, that Mike Elson, you know, look, defensive tackles, they are not, they should not be big time penetrators. Jerry Tillery was totally different and not just for Notre Dame, but throughout 
the country because he was a pass rushing defensive tackle. There are not many of those out there. Sure. Defensive I, tackles, whether you're at the one or the three, it doesn't make a difference. You're talking like one yard of penetration. You get inside, you're not, you should not be like shooting the gap, getting pat, you know, getting past three yards. And that's where those holes come from. You know, let your ends, let, let, let them, you know, you know, blood in on the, on those guys, you know, that that's how it's supposed to work. So to your, to your nightmare scenario there, trust me, I've thought about it enough, <laughs> enough uh, that I agree, but I think there's ways that the ways that the defensive line kind of, you know, helps, helps that not happen. Um, and that's by your defensive tackles doing the dirty work, doing what they're doing, playing assignment football, holding the point of attack. That's yeah, the thing exactly. is that if I don't need them in the backfield every play, um, but I don't also need them getting blocked back into their linebackers. Right. You know? Exactly. So, uh, but I, I think we've talked a couple of times on this podcast about how Jonathan Bonner, uh, you know, on never the enough credit. Yeah. On the stat sheet, it didn't, it didn't show, but he was taking on two guys so that other guys could, could, you know, could come of down the line, shoot down the line and, and, and bury some running back. You know no, what I mean? If, so. if we can get, you know, listen, if, if Heinish can play like Bonner this year, then great. Yeah. That's exactly what you want those guys doing that job. It is assignment football down there, and it is not an easy job. This is, you know, that is the most physical part of the entire game is down there in those trenches. And to have to use your brain, you know, this is they're not mindless, you know, grunts down there, man. They, these guys have to know what they're doing, you know where they're at on the field determines about, you know, if they're stepping to the left, stepping up. I mean, it, you know, where all that stuff goes into play, it's important. So if we, yeah, if we get someone, if we get, we get assignment played football, like Bonner played his assignments, they're, they're going to be better off this year. Agreed. All right. Let's step away from the defense. I, I, <clears throat> I just think we know exactly. I, I think we know exactly what we got with the defense, honestly, even with the, with the, the stuff at corner uh, and, and the indecision at linebacker, but, but we know that like we, we know we, we're not real. We're no, nothing's going to be solved at linebacker until we see what happens down in Athens. But I think, you know, the corner situation is okay, but stepping over to the offensive side of the ball, I am still, I am still concerned about Notre Dame's, ability to run the football uh, when they need to. Uh, I, I don't know where it's coming from. It's just, I, I was confident, I think a couple of weeks ago. And I just think the lack of talk about it. And now look, they, they just got into pads. So this, this could be totally unfounded, but there just seems to be a lack of, of talk about the running game that, that seems a little concerning to me. I mean, it might, it might just be a little, a little shit about all this Jude or, or do you think there's something to it? I think there's something to it. And I've been, and I actually been looking a lot at uh, data about run pass mixes and wondering if we're going to, we're in for a lot more passing this year than um, we've, we've, well, certainly in the Brandon Wimbush years, but um, you know, maybe even going back to, to the Kaiser years, whether or not this will be kind of a departure for chip long. I think his preference has always been kind of a 55, 45 uh, run pass. Um, but you know, with all the weapons that they have on at the receiving core and, and Ian book, apparently, uh, looking very sharp, uh, you know, and, and, and also being able, you know, be feeling confident that he can hit the deep ball. Um, I'm wondering if they're going to rely more a little bit more on the pass and, and, uh, try to take some of that pressure off of the running game. That's not as, uh, potent. I just want to know how many times they're going to come out five wide. <laughs> Drink. Like, like like early like yeah <laughs> like but uh i don't, I don't know it, it 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 just doesn't seem like we have enough information to go off of and which is going to be the case is early in in fall but you know there's just so many different routes that could go you know with we we only saw the true two back set a couple of times last year the, the syracuse game was one right um you know, we had a hard they, time keeping two backs healthy. Right, right, and the, and the two backs that they wanted to use, you know, in that right. in that kind of a set. So, you know, is that becoming? Are they going to make that and 
it's a little bit more of a priority this fall. It's funny, um, that you know, they, mixing it up between between all like like four guys. It's funny you mentioned that Syracuse game. I, I just actually was watching it yesterday and forgot that they used Brandon Wimbush in a two back set. That, yeah, like, dude, I mean, they, they got sick with two back sets on that game. I mean, that game made it was like I after that game I was like, you know what? If they've been holding this back all season, let's just unleash it because it was so pretty to watch on some of those plays. I mean, I. Every time I watch that fullback trap, I just want to die. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just—it's just so gorgeous. Uh, but yeah, they brought Brandon Woodbush out and did that. Do you uh, think they minimized the amount of um, Brock Wright at fullback because of Cole Komet's injury? Well, <clears throat> what I—I I, I still thought. And I think Greg, Greg was in agreement with me when I was when I was talking to him too about. I, I think he was in agreement. So I. We have to double check with him, but I think Tommy <laughs> Tremble moves up to that role. I haven't heard a word about it. Unfortunately, y'all, like, look, I'd love to be there at all the open practices. Uh, I live an hour and a half away, and I also have another job besides this. And that it, <laughs> unfortunately, I am not able to go to practice to pick up the little things that no one else cares about but me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I don't know yet, quite yet, about how that's going. Or someone has seen it. Um, maybe I'll drop a line to one of the other guys, one of our friends in the in the media, to to, uh, to let me know. But they're always looking for questions. Yeah, they are. They are, and uh, <laughs> that in picks uh, the the media the uh, media table thing that was all Carter Carl's. I'll just let y'all know. He said, "Hey, can you make this?" But yeah, he didn't tell me what to put on it. He just said, "Hey, can you make one?" I'm like. I guess, man. I'm yeah, for those who missed it, there was a lunch table meme going around, and and you know who you sitting with, sort of thing or whatever. So there was naturally one for college football that ESPN did that excluded Notre Dame, which was hilarious. Um, and then uh, you know it got very meta. Again, now I'm going to actually credit Justin Matana because I'm pretty sure she was the first one to uh, oh, do yeah. Oh, yeah. related <laughs> one. And then, yes, Carter uh, requested a, a media-friendly one. So we went total navel-gazing, and, and we talked about, you know, would you like to sit with uh, Lou Samoji and a, and a grizzly bear? or uh, <laughs> nobody, nobody picks Lou and the bear. <laughs> I personally want to sit with the, a bear. I don't, I don't find that bear very uh, very appealing. But, uh, you know, hey, look, if, you know, some people like the bear. I don't know. Well, I mean, you know? A, lot of people, a lot of people are in love with Portillo's and Whataburger. That's uh, right. I, I had enough sycophants out there that, that that said they come sit at my table in the keg. Um, so, but, <laughs> but anyways, it was, that was a good, that was a, that was a fun thing to do. Yeah. Um, I guess I do have some Photoshop skills. I'm about to polish that up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a little inside joke with uh, me and Philip Goff about our Photoshop skills, but anyways, but no, I, I, I think Tommy Tremble, probably moves up to that fullback spot is kind of what we've had, what we had felt was going to happen. Um, but maybe that's not it. Maybe, but maybe it is now <laughs> with the combat injury. I, I really don't know. Uh, but I, you know, I, I would like to see that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, some more power formations. I think early in the season too, I think, you know, against Louisville and against New Mexico, I don't get, I, I really don't care about what you're showing other teams. And, and I know that's important. But I think it's also important that they that they have a tape of it. I, I thought one of the coolest things that I listened to this week, or it was last week, was uh, oh god, oh Mike Goolsby was on the pot of out of gold, and I thought that interview was fascinating. I mean, if you haven't listened to it, go back. You can stop this if you want. Pause it. It's okay. <laughs> go listen to Mike Goolsby's interview on Pot of Gold. He talks about uh, you know the transition from Davy to Willingham, all right. of it's fascinating. But he was so pissed off at Willingham because he had said you know you know three words you know someone asked Willingham about the offense he said three words no more option, and Goolsby is like are you freaking kidding me? You know yeah Carla Holiday who's one of the best athletes to come into South Bend ever. I mean as a pure athlete, and you're not going to use him. The option at all, not even a couple times a game, just to make teams have to practice it. Yeah, practice it, and that's an ex. That that is one of the best points. Yes, you don't want to always show your hand, but you also need to show enough of your hand to make these teams think. 
I mean, which which made gotta me got to get something to chew on. Made me smirk at at Brian Kelly saying, "Hey, Jay Bramblett, he's got quite an arm." Just putting that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like, will they ever run a fake punt with Jay Bramblett? Yeah, probably not. But you know, look, you know, just putting it out there. From Alabama, boy can play football. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I mean. I don't know. I just would like, I would really like to see that in the first couple of games is them using some power formations um, against two teams. They probably won't need to, um, you know, so what if it's on tape going down to Georgia? Good. Um, it just gives them more than they're going to have to think less time they can spend on stopping what you're probably going to do the most of down there anyways. And that's throwing the, you know, throwing the football. So I, I don't I know. Mean, Today's social media had uh, like 10 seconds of clips of, oh, maybe it was Irish Illustrated, maybe not, it wasn't official channels, but of uh, them doing a, a handoff to the running back and then him tossing it to the wide receiver on an, uh, on a, I guess that would be called a reverse, right? Yeah, a reverse. So yeah. with the with the quarterback sort of as the lead blocker. So, you know, look, maybe that's not a look that they actually show anybody, but, uh, you know, let's I'll see. I'll now. Let's yeah. Let's let's tape now. So let let people prepare for it. You know, and I, I mean, I I I don't recall them ever running that last year at all. Do you? I mean, they ran some jet sweeps here and there. Yeah. They would yeah. They would get they would put the the receiver in motion right. They wouldn't. I don't think they ever gave it to a running back who then handed it off to anybody else. No, no. And yeah, hey. And speaking of, and that's gonna be. I think that's gonna be a big part of the running game this year too. I think. A guy like Braden Lindsay, who I have tried to avoid talking about as much as I can mm-hmm. uh, this entire offseason because I think everyone's making too big of a deal. Um, and that's not to say that he's not extremely talented. I just people are trying to put him up, you know, up against the, you know, Michael Young, Chris Fink, and Chase Claypool. Like Lindsay should be starting over one of those guys. You're crazy. Um, well, Josh, so, he wears Rockets' old number. I mean, come on. Yeah, I wish they would stop doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you mean Manir Prince's old number? Yeah, uh, the fast guy in 25. Oosh. Actually, the fastest guy I've seen since Rocket wore number 25 uh, was probably Jonas Kirk. Well, no, it was, I mean, Kinder wore 25, but still, uh, <laughs> point, the point is take. Uh, but, I mean, I think they, you know, they liked to do that with Kevin Stefferson, if you remember. Yep. You know, they liked to do it. They did it. They liked to do it. Kelly liked to do it when they had CJ Procise. They liked the guys it's a good part of the running game. You know, you do it once or twice a game, but you've shown that motion four or five times a game. It's just, it's part of football. It doesn't mean that you lack a, a good running game. It's just another, it's another part of it. And a lot of times it, it, it can work out fairly well for you. Yeah. They I mean, did think one time, I think it was last year where he actually attempted a pass out of it too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yep. Uh, was that against USC? I, I, that's what I wanted to say. USA. Yeah. Yeah. I thought uh, maybe it was earlier in the season. It was, it it was in a game where I'm like, I don't really think you need to be doing this. (laughs) It felt like a waste of doubt, but yeah, but regardless, um, you know, those, those fast guys, they're going to, I think they're going to find a way to get them some touches here and there, uh, which gives them their shot. You know, a a guy like Lawrence keys right now, I, has that there's been nothing but good things about him. They've, they've said that Lawrence keys has been un you know, you can't cover him. That's good news. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's, that's good news. But you know, is he Chris Finky yet? No. And I will say Finky to anyone who wants to battle me on that, but uh, there's some pieces there. But like I said, I, I, I am a little concerned at the lack of, of, talk a lot of concentration so far on the running game. I'm just going to say it. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm a, I'm a RT. I'm a run the damn football guy anyways, but you know, I'm a realist. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying we need to line up in a, you know, in a Maryland eye, you know, and, and you know, double tight Maryland eye and you run the football every play. That's silly. But, uh, I, I would like to know more about what's going on. Um, with that, and I, 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 that's less, for me. That's less of a running back situation, and more of just the your overall scheme. 
Yeah. Do we do we deserve to or do we should we talk about Dracovic? Apparently that, you know, because I think when we had Ty on, we'd we'd gotten that first practice report. Yeah, let's yeah, let, was, let's talk a little about that'll be the last thing we talk about here. So let's let, let's talk about uh, Philzy there. What, what do you want to say? Well, I just, you know, the first practice report was yikes. And I think <laughs> we, I think we uh, I think we talked we beat that with Ty very, very hard. But, at the, you know, look, at the end of the day. God forbid something happens to Ian Book that he can't complete a series or a half or a football game or a rest of a season. Uh, we need this guy to be at his very best. Um, and apparently the practice reports have gotten steadily better. So yes. um, I'm still hopeful. Uh, Brent, Brent, Brendan Clark is sporting a mullet now. I, I don't I'm not like he I, has got. Let me tell you something about Brendan Clark or Brendan Clark. Sorry. He has got a little bit of a cannon on him. Watching some clips of Clark, he has got he's got some zip on that ball. He's overthrowing <laughs> <laughs> and he's throwing a little high. But those are things that can get down. You know, I like I, I like what I I'm not gonna say something. I was gonna say something stupid. I'm not gonna say something stupid. <laughs> it's the drinking. It's the drinking. <laughs> look, look, let me tell you about something. About a guy his size that went to a little school called Southern Miss that that ended up, you know, getting traded in the NFL early on uh, to a team up north in Green Bay. I'm, I'm from. I'm putting down. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, Don Mikowski. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I'm just saying. I like a. I like a strong arm kid. I mean, a gunslinger. A gunslinger, man. Okay. I, it, it's scary, and you know, but you know. We had, we had a lot of fun this week, right, with, with, with Tommy Rees, with your article about the turnovers. Yeah. And, you know, Tommy No was a big thing. Look, Tommy Rees didn't have the gun. He was a gunslinger, right, that was packing a, a 25 while the <laughs> other guys were packing a Colt 45. Right. But, you know, that's the difference right there. You know, Tommy, some of Tommy's interceptions, had he had a little bit more arm strength, would not have been interceptions. So – I'm not saying anything more other than I really I think that's what Brendan Clark's like his category is right now for me. And I'm cool with that. Like that's I mean, he's got a strong arm. That's a lot to work with. Um, the you're right, though, the the, re, the reports coming out now about Jerkovic looking a lot better than than the first practice. I mean, that's you could breathe a little bit easier. And I'll just remind you, like, look, you know, we already talked about Tommy. Brian Kelly is one with backup quarterbacks before. In fact, we do pretty well with guys coming off the bench in a lot of cases. Uh, Andrew Hendricks not withstanding <laughs> against USC. But, uh, you know, Tommy was one that came off the bench as a freshman and, you know, guided them to a bunch of, to you know, to wins that they had to win. Um, you know, look, we're well past those kinds of seasons, you would hope, right? Like, we're, we're gunning for the playoffs. We're, we're gunning for for New Year's Day Bowls. And, and so it's a different thing. But you know, Deshaun Kaiser did it in 2015. And Notre Dame was in the was in the hunt. Didn't work right. out for him, but they were in the hunt. And right. he was a guy that was shaky in the spring. You didn't hear much about him at all. I mean, how could you? I mean everyone was so high on, you know, Zaire after Golson left and the Music City Bowl, what went on there. And then, you know, and then what happened against Texas. I mean, my God, that was one of the best that was honestly got one of the best quarterback performances at Notre Dame. I mean, you did the you did an article about that, didn't you? Correct. Yes, the top. Where, where, terms, where did, where did it rank? Success, in, number one in terms of success rate in in the game. So and how many? And how far back did you go? Um, I you know it's funny. I I don't remember how far back I went on that well, one. You went, you went back in at least into the Weiss era, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure to be honest with you. <laughs> Either yeah. way, yeah. whether it was Brian Kelly or you went back, it was still, that was the best quarterback performance we had seen in the Brian Kelly era. And we could at least say that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes down week two and you got this guy coming off the bench, like, Oh my God. And you look, and Kaiser struggled. I mean, yeah, we have Will Fuller, so he can bail you out of a lot of situations. Right. But I mean, even after that Virginia game, Kaiser struggled. If he had to throw, to his left, dear God, uh, it was that, that was a hard thing to watch, but worked it out, worked it out, worked it out, and Notre Dame was winning football games, and they were they were doing pretty well. I even if Ian Book goes down, 
it smells like disaster, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, we we just won't know until it happens. I mean, can, he seems like a competitor to me, and it seems like he like he wants to go out there and, and win some games. And he's an athlete. There's other things he can do besides running the football. And I know we're stepping away from the Brandon Wimbush <coughs> quote unquote era. So maybe we don't want to hear that as much, but there's other things that Phil can do. I think we're in better shape than what has been the story, you know, since spring. Um, I'm not saying it's a great situation, but I think we're in better shape than where we thought we were back in the spring. Yeah. It's a long winded way to say it's okay. Everything's long-winded when you got a bottle of Maker's Mark sitting on the desk. <laughs> so, Jude, you got anything more to add? Uh, we going to do some sound-offs or no? You, you want to do a sound-off? Go ahead. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to do a sound-off. Um, I did a service project with my local Notre Dame club today, and uh, it was at a place called a, a Tiny Home for Good. Uh, basically, this fella, Andrew Lanetta, was working on a men's shelter and uh, realized that uh, he was seeing a lot of the people that he thought were getting housing, uh, and it turned out that this, the um, the housing situation in, in Syracuse was not adequate, um, and a lot of these guys would preferred the shelter because the the, the rent, rental situation was so bad. So he decided to create his own organization and build tiny homes, three hundred square foot homes. Um, he's actually he's just putting the finishing touches on his fourteenth tiny home. Uh, he's only been in uh, business for three years. And today we helped him build a shed and I tried not to embarrass myself, but, um, Andrew is a, <laughs> Andrew, uh, has no connection to Notre Dame, but, uh, you know, got hooked up with our organization as for a service project. Um, and he is just an example of somebody who has taken his life and become a force for good. Notre Dame also often talks about, uh, being a force for good in the, in this country. And, uh, I was just impressed as all hell that, at uh, at this guy's dedication to um, to making his corner of the world just a little bit better. Oh man, that's that's a that's a great one, Jude. That's a really good good one. So thanks for sharing that. Um, and I guess I I guess staying off of sports and, and Notre Dame in general altogether uh, as well. Like we've all been kind of engrossed a little bit about what's been going on in the country, and and I make it a huge point not to talk politics on the on the show on the site. Um, but and this is but this has nothing to do with politics. Um, for what I'm going to say is that America is under attack by just a whole lot of bad things. I, I'm not trying to make light of anything or make things sound rosier, but look, it's, there's bad things going on, and all I can say is, you know, po- all politics aside, is let's just all try to treat humans like human beings. Uh, whatever race, religion, creed, what, whatever it is going on, I think it, this last week has really emphasized the fact that, you know, we just need to be nicer to each other. Uh, and I think being nice goes a long ways. It's, it's, we got to take it back to kindergarten, back to, you know, when we were kids. And the number one thing that I think a lot of parents tell their kids, what I was told when I tell my kids, is, you be, is you're nice. You know, treat people with respect. Be nice. And I don't know. I, I, I'm not as eloquent right now, especially. <laughs> but I'm, I'm just, it has been a, this is something that weighs on every person who's listening to the show's mind, I'm sure. Because it affects us all in one way or the other. Whether you're unfortunately involved in one of these things, or if you're just constantly bombarded um, with this stuff through news or through social media. I think it's important for everyone to realize that, you know, there's nothing that there's nothing that you can do that's anything. If you were just nice to people around you and try to do good and try to uh, be courteous, maybe some of these things don't happen. I don't. I don't know. I. I'm yeah, sure that's just. I'm sure that's a that's a terrible way to 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 look at look at it, and certainly one that's uh, kind of flighty. But I, I just think it's. I just think it's important, man. Let just. Treat people with respect. Be nice. If if I may add a little bit be to nice. your thing too, um, look, I, I'm just as guilty as everyone else. Um, it's not enough to be outraged on Twitter. Um, you really, if you if you want to be, if you want to see change in the world, you have to be part of that change. 
And so whether that's, um, you know, volunteering hours or donating money to a political candidate or a cause or an organization that's supporting a cause that you believe in, um, please do it because, um, they always need your time and they always need your money. And, um, and that's how you make real change in the world. Uh, sitting at your keyboard and, 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 and being upset is, is fine. It's cathartic. Um, but it doesn't create real change. Um, you're just, you're lit, you're literally shouting into the abyss. So, um, spend less time doing that and more time, uh, you know, donating money or time to, to a cause you believe in. And I think that, I think we can, we can make it, we can be a force for good. Like I just said. That's right. Let's, you know, if you're, let's say whatever beliefs you have, uh, you know, try to live up to those. I mean, most of your, most people's beliefs at, at some core at a core level has to do with being good and doing good. Uh, so if we could all just reach, uh, try to reach those, those ideals and those levels together, I think maybe, maybe we'll be better off. I don't know, but we'll, 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 we'll stop talking. I'll stop talking about that <laughs> uh, for another time and place probably. But anyways, um, I'm glad you glad we were able to do this. This was a late night uh, kind of on the whim thing. So glad you guys could join us. Uh, so for me and Jude, go Irish. <laughs>